there, folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We are cruising through the apocalypse. The book of Revelation, the Apocalypse of St. John, the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ, we're told right away. And here we are on chapter 14 already. Brief recap, uh, we have this kind of two-act book, you might say. Act 2 begins at chapter 12, The Woman and the Dragon. And then we learn last chapter, chapter 13, the dragon has his own kind of unholy trinity. Beast from the land, beast from the sea, you have dragon, beast, beast. Well, in chapter 14, lest we despair or get too down in the dumps, there is uh, the Holy Trinity and the divine service of the Holy Trinity going on at the same time. What does that look like? Well, it looks like what's in chapter 14. And then we get a look at um, the kind of harvest, the kind of uh, evangelism, you might say, the, the workings of the church through the Lord of the church. Uh, in the in the meantime, in the time of the church, I'll say more about that soon. But let's this is a doozy of a chapter, kind of long too, in uh, relation to others. So let's jump in. The text of Revelation 14 reads as follows: Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of water." And another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. 
And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. All righty. So there we have the text of Revelation 14. Some interesting things going on there, especially at the end, maybe a little odd kind of puzzling, but let's just start from the start, and that is this lamb and the 144,000. Fascinating stuff. While the unholy trinity is doing what the unholy trinity does, the unholy divine service, as it were, how the beast brings you to another beast who brings you to the dragon. Well, meanwhile, the holy trinity has its own divine service. And if you forget everything I say, this is what's going on in chapter 14. It's the other divine service that's going on at the same time, the divine service of the Holy Trinity. John sees on Mount Zion, so this is up high on the mountain, on the high ground, literally. Um, this is, you know, what the, what the unholy trinity is, what beast uh, from the land and the water. This is on a mountain. Again, mountains are very rich in the Old Testament where God does some pretty amazing stuff. Abe and Isaac, Ten Commandments, and so on. Mount Zion, this is the security, this is the certainty, uh, the refuge that we have in Christ crucified. On Mount Zion uh, is our refuge. Stands the Lamb with him, 144, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. This is the first we've heard of this 144 since chapter 7. And now we know a little bit more. This is classic Revelation where it makes an allusion to something earlier in the book. So the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Revelation 7 with the 144 can't be fully understood unless you know a thing or two about Revelation 14, and the 144 is described there as well. In 7, we just heard that there was a mark on the forehead. Here in 14, we learn, whoa, it's the name of his, of the Lamb and his Father's name written on their forehead. Sounds very baptismal, doesn't it? So this is a baptismal safe haven. When you've been baptized, you've been placed on Mount Zion. And by the way... Those who uh, have that white baptismal garment are to keep washing in the blood. Also on Mount Zion, and I'm not just, uh, you know, kind of free floating here. Hebrews 12 speaks of it in the same way. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. I think that's a reference to the to the sacrament of the altar. The author of Hebrews preaching in his in his letter there, his sermon, you have come to Mount Zion with angels, innumerable angels and festal gathering. I take that and many others as a reference to the sacrament of the altar. So this is that Mount Zion reality. It's a baptismal, sacramental safe haven, the divine service of the Holy Trinity. Um, I heard the voice from the, I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. 
I love this combo because uh, you have this language of what? Um, I heard sound from heaven, sound of many waters. That sounds like the Son of Man in chapter 1. But then you have this as a sound of thunder, great thunder. That sounds like God the Father in chapter 4. And then you have all this emphasis on harps playing harps on their harps. And that brings us back to chapter 5. Uh, where we have this reference. We haven't had any singing, by the way, in a long time. We haven't had any singing since chapter 5, that divine throne room where we have the one sitting on the throne and then the lamb and the spirit as well. Very Trinitarian stuff. Here also is this voice that sounds very Trinitarian to me. You have this loud thunder. Sounds like God the Father. You have many waters. Sounds like God the Son. You have all these harps, which... um, What? You prophesy by means of the harp in many places, uh, singing and prophesying and so on, the kind of stuff that you'd have with the Holy Spirit. So I wonder if this is its own kind of... Well, that would be... The other thing, too, is it's one voice. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet at the same time, I love how the text refers to this, the voice, the sound. It's only one voice and yet uh, triune. So this is characteristic of... The Holy Trinity's divine service, baptism, sacrament of the altar, singing. Notice how this 144 first hears and then sings. That's totally the church. That's totally what we do all the time. We first get a word of the Lord and then we sing in response. And no one could learn that song except the 144 who had been redeemed from the earth. That is, it's not available by just doing good things and giving lots of money to charity. You can only have this new song if the Lord gives you that new song. Oh, Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song. Oh, Lord, open my lips, right? Oh, Lord, and sing unto the Lord a new song. Only the Lord can do a new thing. Only the Lord can put that new song upon our lips. And so no one can know it except for those who have been baptized. These who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins, these follow the lamb wherever he goes. Notice, so it's kind of an odd reference. Hey, wait, the virgins and following wherever he goes. This is a classic, um, you know, it's militaristic. It's kind of an ironic holy war, you might say. The lamb is on the move now. Maybe I should start with that. Um, We kind of, in the throne room in chapters 4 and 5, you have the slain lamb and there's worship going on. But now the lamb is on the move. And the people follow the lamb wherever he goes, wherever he leads you, he goes before you. Even if it's in scary places, even if it's in the wilderness of this world, the lamb goes before you. And there is, uh, what, following the lamb, a kind of purified, holy, um, military. Again, the language of virgin, there's lots of talk in the Old Testament. If you're on a holy war, if you're on a, military campaign, you keep yourself uh, kind of focused on the job at hand. Um, and so one of the kind of purity language evokes that, I think. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless, as in they have no part with the father of lies. Notice again the emphasis on the mouth, the fact that that they do war with their speaking of the word of God. We'll see this later on. Their only weapon is the word of God. Chapter 19 comes to mind. We'll say more about that later. For they are blameless. Uh, They're kind of first fruits for God. This is very rich because the first fruits, if you think Old Testament, that's like an offering. That's a liturgical offering. 
Well, Christ himself is also the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So you see what's happened here. You have this kind of first the first fruits, then the rest that follow, Paul would say in the great resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. So you have this kind of they're, sac- they're in a holy war. These, this is, okay, so the divine service, the holy trinity, uh, you have the followers of the Lamb who are in a kind of holy war that's carried out by means of what they speak. And part of this war is taken hits, first fruits, a sacrificial offering. And yet, um, that's exactly what we've been called to do. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, Paul would say, a kind of first fruits. Uh, because unless the, the grain of wheat dies, you can't have new life, Jesus would say in John 12, and same for us. So there is this killing, this dying, and yet also arising in our Lord as we follow the Lamb wherever he leads us, follow his word, follow his sacrament. And uh, we know that even in the putting to death of the old flesh, there is a giving of new life. Then we have messages of three angels, which is kind of fun, isn't it? Then I saw another angel fly. I mean, well, that's the one thing. Wait, right, three, right? And I think this is a very Trinitarian chapter. I think this chapter is emphasizing the Holy Trinity's divine service while the beast is doing, while the dragon is doing what he does uh, through the two beasts. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said it with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. I think this is a reference. As you look at the other two, another angel, a second, followed, fallen, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And then you have the third angel speaking about what? If anyone worships the beast and his image receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, pulled full strength into the cup of his anger. Um, be tormented and so on. They have no rest, whoever does that. I think this is also a very Trinitarian section. I think the first angel is representative of preaching God the Father. Fear God and give him glory, the maker of heaven and earth. Sounds like the creed, doesn't it? The second angel I take to be a, a kind of preaching of God the Son, and that is, Babylon the Great will learn later this other city. There are two cities, go figure, in Revelation. The holy city, Jerusalem. And then there's Babylon. She who made the nations drink. There is this true bride in Revelation 19. But there's also the false bride of, uh, of the prostitute in chapter 17. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So what does that have to do with preaching God the Son? That is, this is preaching... Um, the false bride, the false city, the false Messiah. This is putting to shame, preaching against all of that. Uh, and a third angel, again, this lines up with the third of the unholy trinity, all this language of image and mark of the beast. That's exactly what the, the third entity of the unholy trinity does. And so I think this is a kind of preaching of this third angel, a kind of preaching of God, the Holy Spirit, um, drawing people to faith. I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the one true faith. He's the one that brought me to baptism. He's the one that brought me to a better image 
been this false image of what it means to be human that the unholy trinity is doing. He's the one that put a better mark on my forehead than this mark of the beast. And so we preach against the other way, implied in included in the preaching of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is a preaching against the unholy trinity and uh, the three entities therein. Here, I think, is why you get this. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, um, those who keep the commandments of God. This is the, While the unholy trinity is doing what the unholy trinity does, here's a call for endurance. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the, even if you go unto death as you hold the faith. We've had this before, this hold the hupomone in Greek, this patient endurance. Hold the confession because that will be victorious over the ways of the unholy trinity, even if you go to death. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds fall. And here again, I think, is a classic Trinitarian passage. A voice from heaven says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. So you have this voice, who I take to be the Father, speaking, Blessed are those who die in the Lord in the Son, and then the Spirit speaks, blessed indeed. May God the Father who created this body, God the Son who redeemed this body, God the Holy Spirit who will raise this body. Sounds like a committal here. Um, But again, a very baptismal blessing pronounced on those who die in the Lord. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. We're going to take a break there. We're overdue for one. We're going to pick it up with the harvest. Oh, fun stuff on the other side. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin, is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Folks, we are back with our study of Revelation chapter 14. Again, a doozy of a chapter. I think this is loaded with how the Holy Trinity carries out its divine service in the midst of the unholy Trinity's divine service. There's so much in this. I was just looking at the break. This, yeah, The reference in this third angel to the cup, uh, the cup of wrath, or this reference to the wine... I don't think anybody would have missed this. In fact, again, this is 
part of how revelation works there are two cups in the book one cup that's in uh the hand of the lord the other that's in the hand of the prostitute um or the cup that the lord is giving the prostitute to drink i guess you could say i mean that in the hand of the lord there is a cup psalm 75 so anyway two cups one for salvation one for judgment is the bigger point there um two wines there's the wine of I would say that the sacrament of the altar, also the wine of uh, what is God's wrath that he makes others drink for judgment. It's one or the other. There's no in-between. We've said this before. And so you see that again in this preaching of the triune God, that there is the real deal or there's the the unholy, the the pseudo deal. No in-between. Then at the end, we have the harvest. So we have the divine service going forth of the Holy Trinity. And then what is the harvest? The harvest is how this another perspective or image of how this is unfolding. So John sees a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head, sharp sickle in his hand. So this sounds a lot, very Christ-like, right? The cloud. Okay, so we've kind of been here before the cloud, and then we have this crown, one like a son of man. I mean, it's pretty explicit. Son of man, the language straight from chapter one, that initial vision. Um, okay, and he has a sickle in his hand. Another angel comes out of the temple, and I take this reference to the temple here as a reference to the church, those who call upon the Lord to carry out his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. For example, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. And so the church prays. Uh, send out laborers into your harvest. So there's another one saying, calling out with a loud voice, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come. The harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. So that's one side of things. And then you have the other is what? Another angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. Another angel comes out from the altar. The angel has authority of the fire. He calls out, to the one with the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth, gathered the grape harvest of the earth, threw the, into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden outside the city. The blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. Okay, lots of things to say here. First things first, we have two images of this harvest one is this sounds like okay the grain um and you have this swinging of the sickle but then another you have this grape the wine press okay the vine kind of uh imagery as well why two well i think so first i mean i guess two major views on how to understand these things and i don't like either of them <laughs> One is uh, that the popular view is that these both have to do with judgment. This is end times judgment. And then you have this like swing in the sickle and it's sharp and it's just like, bam, dunzo. And then another image of judgment from just kind of a another angle, but still very similar. Another harvest just kind of emphasizing the, the wine and the grape part of things. Okay. Um. Another popular view, I don't think that's the case. Another popular view says, well, it's kind of split one and one. The first one is the good harvest, the harvest of like the Lord, the, the Lord's harvest, as I referenced earlier. Just because you see sickle doesn't mean judgment. 
um, like the sickle is sharp and it's hacking away things. This is actually part of the Lord's harvest. It's, think of our, our Lord's preaching in the parables, for example. Mark 4 uh, comes to mind. Parable, see, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps, right? All of a sudden, the, the seed's sprouting and growing, and first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. You know, this is very harvest-heavy preaching. Oh, and especially verse 29 of Mark 4 uh, but when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This is just classic. This is how the kingdom of God goes. Okay, this is just classic language. And then the other side is this. Okay, and then the judgment comes with the, the great wine press because, after all, you have the wrath of God mentioned in verse 19. It throws it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. It's trodden. Blood's flying everywhere. So that's judgment. Okay. Well, I actually take a third view on this one. I'm a little different, uh, so see what you think. But I think both of these harvests have everything to do with the Lord of the harvest and how he does his harvest. First things first, why are there two? One heavy on the grain, the other heavy on the wine. Grain and wine, grain and wine. I was sitting there once with my little uh, seven-month-old, and I'm thinking about this passage as he's sitting there snacking on little pieces of bread and grapes. And I'm like, why in the world is this, why are there two images? Both the, the grain harvest and then the wine harvest. As I'm sitting there looking at my boy eating bread and grapes. Bread and grapes. <laughs> bread and grapes. And then it hit me like a hundred ton, ton brick or whatever. It's like, oh my goodness. That's exactly it. It's a sacramental harvest. It's a harvest that comes through means of bread and grapes. It's a, it's a harvest that comes by means of bread and wine, body and blood. Okay, so that's why you have two, and that's, I think, also why you have the order that they're in. And that's also why I don't think that these are, either one of them is about the second time and, and second coming end times judgment uh, as we tend to think of that. Why is that? I think the first one has to do with that first element that I said, the grain, the bread, and so on. The second one, follow this carefully. You have another angel coming out of the temple. He also has a sharp sickle. Then we have another angel saying, put your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. Okay, now let me just walk carefully through this in the Greek because some fascinating things happen here. Um, he's, this angel swung his sickle across the earth and um, here we have this language of uh, the vine. Throws the vine. He threw the vine into the great... Uh, the wine press of the wrath of God, the great. And he tread the uh, this wine press outside the city and went out blood from the wine press until the bridles of horses from 1600 uh, stadia. This is the only time that the word vine occurs in the entire book of Revelation. It occurs twice, one in verse 18 and one in verse 19. Um, 
so you have this language of gather in the bunch of grapes of the vine. Okay. So he swings and he throws uh, the vine into the wine press and it's smashed. Does this sound familiar? I take the reference to the vine here. So where you have in English this um, grape harvest of the earth, um, that's the word for vine. It's only here, and guess where else that occurs? Well, of course, this is I am the vine, and you are in the bran- and you are the branches. Also, John, right? John, authoring Revelation, John fifteen. I am the vine. This is the only place in the whole book, book vine occurs. I am the vine. The angel grabs the vine. So this is a grape harvest. Think about this. This doesn't make any sense. He grabs the vine, and the vine is smashed. The vine is smashed for this harvest. Okay? Um, Outside the city, which is where our Lord was crucified, let us go to him, the author of Hebrews has, let us go to him outside the camp. That's where he suffered, outside the city, outside the camp. So the vine is smashed the vine endures the wrath of God and is trodden, smashed outside the city in order for this harvest to happen. And what happens? Blood flows from this smashing of the vine to the bridle of horses, 1600 stadia, 1640 by 40, north, south, east, west. The emphasis is in all directions, north, south, east, west. It covers the globe. It covers the globe. The blood from this vine covers the globe. And it is right as high as a horse's bridle, the thing that guides the horses. We're going to learn later in chapter 19 that the the, the Son of Man riding on a white horse has a whole bunch of horses behind him. Where do you go? Where do you how do you follow that slain lamb? You follow the blood. Wherever the blood of this smashed vine is, that's where these horses go. That's where his followers go. The bridle is what guides the horse. The blood is guiding the horses that follow this smashed vine. I take this as a reference to the crucifixion, to the wrath of God poured out, to the fact that this harvest, this sacramental harvest, has come by means of uh, smashing the vine for the life of the branches. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus says in John 4, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. May God grant it for Christ's sake. Amen. Hey, that's all the time that we have for this session, this podcast. But uh, spread the word. Tell your family and friends that they too can learn more about God's word with us. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our contribute page. Till next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.